Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. All right, written in the stars, week four. Can you believe it's week four already? Christmas is like hours away, guys. How did this happen? We have been on this series for, for four weeks now. We've been going through the prophecies about Jesus and really the prophecies that go into the birth story of Jesus. There are so, so many of them. We've talked about the wise men and the angels and shepherds and the prophets in the temple. But in my opinion, we cannot move on from here. In fact, I think we'd be woefully remiss on from here without talking about John the Baptist. There's so many prophecies from John the Baptist, but also about John the Baptist, and and he's this sort of often overlooked character in the Bible. We we don't often hear sermons just about John the Baptist like we do so many of the other prophets, and I think personally that's because he did his job so well. He pointed to Jesus. We sort of skip over him, right? To Jesus, he did his job so well. It's kind of like around here we have the media team, the ushers team, literally their job is to not be noticed, right? And if you notice them, it means something went wrong, right? A a mic died, lights didn't happen, and then suddenly everybody's like, what's going on back there in the sound booth, right? We only notice them when something goes wrong. And when they do their job well, as they always do around here, aren't they awesome, by the way? They always do so we rarely ever even notice that they're there. Same with the ushers. If, If service goes off without a hitch, they've done their job well. They kept focus on what was going on in the stage. And that's how John the Baptist was. He was a major prophet, major prophet. And yet we often overlook him because he did his job so well preparing people for the Messiah. But today I, I want you to understand the context that John the Baptist came into. Israel was at a, a critical point in their history, a point unlike any other really. And so I brought this whiteboard up here today to sort of give you a little bit of a visual here. I want to give you a a biblical, very basic biblical timeline. If you want to get really into this, there's an awesome link in your sermon notes. Uh, Click that and you'll see a whole interactive timeline. And I'm also not very good at these, so it's definitely not going to be to scale, but hopefully it'll help us picture this a little. So this is Eden, right? Beginning of time itself. According to the Bible, this is now, we'll put 2020, because basically, that's where we're at, y'all. So, 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years, here is about where Jesus and John are. 2,000 years ago, and we'll put zero here. The year zero, Jesus literally broke time in half. He reinvented it by his coming, and so it's really about three maybe BC to about 34 AD that we're, we're talking about, but zero, okay? About 400 years before Jesus and John, and again, no idea if this is the scale, we see the book of Malachi, and it's not just a book, it's a prophet, right? The prophet Malachi was the last in the Old Testament, and the book Malachi is the last of the Old Testament. It happened 400 years before Jesus and John. 400 years. This is where we see 
one of the, there are two main prophecies about John the Baptist himself, and this is where the main one comes from. <clears throat> 400 years before. About 300 years before that, we see the book of Isaiah, which is where the other main prophecy about John the Baptist comes from. Um, and just for an idea, the first writer of the Old Testament was Moses, and that was like over here somewhere, about 1,200 B.C. This is 700 B.C., 400 B.C., okay? Can you see that a little bit with me? So between the book of Malachi and the Gospels, 400 years this is called the intertestamental period, and it's sort of a dark ages in biblical history. We don't know a whole lot about those 400 years. By all accounts, God wasn't speaking. It was a dark ages for the nation of Israel. He didn't send prophets. He didn't write books. He wasn't speaking from all that we can tell between the book of Malachi and when John the Baptist began the Messiah story, he wasn't speaking. So I don't know about you, but as I was thinking through this, I thought about all the, the places in my life where I have felt like God wasn't speaking. Those dark ages, the dark nights of the soul where I'm crying out to God and he is not crying back. Anybody feel that way sometimes? Just me, I guess, right? <laughs> okay. But we all, I think we all go through those times at one point or another. If you're genuinely crying out to God and you just feel like you get nothing, nothing. He's not speaking. He's not directing. What do you do in those times? And as I began to go through Luke 1 and really look at this from a, a giving our best standpoint, right? This whole series we've been talking about giving our best gifts, our best worship, our best service to each other. I couldn't help but see the line of faith throughout it. Hints about how to have the best faith, even in this context. And I keep pointing to this. If you're listening on the podcast, you'll have to look up the notes and see my little timeline here. But this dark ages is the context that John came into. And the last thing that the prophet Malachi said to the people is our first hint into how to maintain the best faith. Malachi 4, verses 4 to 6, the very last verses in the Old Testament. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave for all Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah. Some versions say the spirit of the prophet Elijah, who was John the Baptist. Before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives, his preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Remember to obey. Remember to obey. He basically says, you're about to enter into a 400-year period of nothing from God. Remember the basics. Go back to the basics. And this is our very first hint about how to maintain the best faith even in the dark times. Go back to the basics. You know, I've had in those periods where I felt like God wasn't speaking, probably the most evident one in my life was I was a junior or senior in high school maybe, and I was genuinely saying, God, what do you do with my life? 
tell me and I will do it. I was begging him. I need a calling. I need a vision from God. I need a prophecy. I need something. Tell me what to do with my life because there's all these pressures at that age to pick a college and whatever. <clears throat> and I remember going up to, uh, there was a um, traveling missionary or something preaching here and Afterward, he said, I'll, I'll prophesy over people. And so I went up. I got prayed over. He took like two seconds to pray. And he's like, I have a word for you. And I was like, awesome. I'll take it finally, you know. And he said, here's what God says. I am guiding you uniquely. Silence. That's it. That's all he said. I was like, okay, great into what, right? Guiding me uniquely into what? Like, I'm begging God for a direction. You've got to give me more than that. And the guy said, nope, that's it. God's guiding you uniquely. Awesome. Thank you. I said, with no gratitude in my heart, (laughs) right? I went away angry. Like, God, you obviously can speak. I know that you can, but you're choosing not to. Why? I was in this dark period that Israel was in, where probably by all accounts begging God for some sort of insight, at least some of them were, and he gave them nothing. But here's the thing. Malachi says to go back to the basics because we don't need to complain that we don't have visions. We don't need to complain that we don't have revelations and and prophecies and um, specific words spoken over us because we have the word of God. We have the basics at our fingertips at any time. We have 66 beautiful books of the Bible where every word has a revelation for you. Yet most of us, we want want something tangible. While our Bibles sit on the shelves dusty, we're begging God for words. And he's saying, it's right in front of you. Go back to the basics. Remember the law of Moses. And for us today, remember the Gospels. There's so much revelation to be had, and it's already been written down. Just pick it up and read it. The word of the Lord does not return void. It will have an effect on you, especially if you read it well. Read it with intention. Read it expecting to hear something. Read it with questions. Most importantly, read it looking for Jesus. When people ask, how do you get so much out of the word, right? How, How can you sit down and read it and get all of that. <laughs> they say, I read it and I don't, I don't hear anything. Do you read it with questions in mind? Are you reading it asking, what does this tell me about Jesus? Or what does this tell me about my need for Jesus? Because you will get both answers no matter where you open in the Bible, even in the Old Testament. What does this tell me about Jesus? Or what does this tell me about my need for Jesus? You will get answers if you read it that way. Go back to the basics. If you feel like God's not speaking, go back to the basics. What was the last thing God told you? Have you done it? In these 400 years where we can't tell that God was speaking at all, the nation of Israel during those 14 generations had to remember what was the last thing God told us. And the last thing God told us told them was to remember the first thing God told them 1,200 years before. Moses wrote down the law. They had to go back, remember the basics. He has given you enough to go on in this season. If you're in one of those dark seasons, 
right now. Somebody needs to hear today. He's given you enough to go on in this season. He does not make mistakes. He has not forgotten you. When he does something, he's doing something. But even when he doesn't do something, he's, I feel like I've said this a lot, he's doing something, right? God is the God of intention. And so when he withholds, he's still doing something. That's who he is. He can't help himself. He's a productive God like that. When he does something, he's doing something. And when he doesn't do something, he's still doing something. So what should you be learning in this season where it feels like he's not doing anything? This is the context that John the Baptist existed in. He began to speak for God again in a world that was very hungry for God to speak. Hadn't heard him speak in a while, though, and so was also very skeptical. Right? Very hungry, but very skeptical. Know anybody like that? Because... Honestly, it sounds like everyone I know, including myself, right? I'm hungry for God to speak, but then when he does, I'm like, eh, was it you? I don't know. And so this story, when we first hear about John, it was before he was even conceived. Now, his dad was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. His mom was named Elizabeth, and they were good people. The Bible in some uh, versions says that they obeyed the law in spirit and in letter. It's hard to do back then, right? Pharisees didn't get it right. They obeyed the law in letter, but not in spirit. These guys were good people, obeying the law in spirit and in letter, but they couldn't have children, and they were now very old. I mean, think 70s, 80s, 90s maybe, old. They could not bear children anymore, and so Luke 1 tells us that an angel shows up to Zechariah in the temple one day, and, well, let's just read it right from the word. Luke 1, Luke 1 verse 11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Do you think that was a recent prayer? Hmm. Was that probably a pretty old prayer? I don't think Zechariah was probably still praying for God to give him a son or a daughter in his 70s, 80s, and 90s. I think he had probably given up on that prayer a while ago. But God didn't. God remembered his prayer. He has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. Sound familiar? Prophecy we just read from 400 years prior. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Can it possibly be a coincidence that the Old Testament ends with those very words and the New Testament begins with the fulfillment of them? This plan has been written in the stars, right? John the Baptist's life has been written in the stars since long before he was born. We're used to hearing 
about the prophets and the prophecies, but I don't know if we fully understand the scope here. God had a plan for this, not one he just thought of one day. He's planned for this since the beginning of time itself. 400 years had passed since God had spoken to his people, people through a prophet. 400 long years. And I think all of that has to do with Zechariah's response here. An angel shows up to him in the temple, tells him good news, something he's been praying for, maybe long ago, but praying for. And here's Zechariah's response, verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? Mm, how can I be sure, right? How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years, in case you angels don't know about how human anatomy works. I'm an old man now. My wife is also getting up there. Zechariah was skeptical. He was skeptical. An angel shows up for the first time in the temple in 400 years, and he's skeptical. What? How? How are you skeptical in this instance? There's an angel standing in front of you, dude. Like, I... I have a hard time not pretty harshly judging Zechariah for this. Um, but also I can see it from the other side, right? An angel shows up for the first time in 400 years. Who wouldn't be skeptical, <laughs> right? Maybe Zechariah is like, am I being punked here? Like, where are the cameras? You know, who's, who's hiding behind those curtains? You guys, what, what, what's going on here, right? What is actually happening? He's skeptical. And after all, I'm skeptical of God's word all the time, and it's not nearly as impossible as this, right? I've seen or two. It's completely possible that it would happen. I mean, Zechariah is looking at this like, this is not physically possible. It's not going to happen. Of course he would have doubts and fears, and, and maybe it was fear. Maybe he didn't want to leave that sanctuary and have to face everybody outside and tell them what happened, right? I'm not sticking my neck out for something that's not a for sure thing. So I have a good reputation around here, right? I can't risk that. Or maybe it was just pain. Didn't want to get his hopes up again. Infertility issues are tough. It's it's hope and pain and hope and pain. And even back then, I mean, maybe even more so back then, I don't know, it was all wrapped up in society and how they thought of you. And it's just, maybe he didn't want to get his hopes up again. But here's the thing. Isaiah 55, 11 says, my word, God speaking about his own words, my word, I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Jeremiah 1.12 says, The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. God watches his words. When he says them, he makes sure they happen. There is nothing you can do or not do to stop it. Nothing you do or don't do can hinder it. Nothing you do or don't do can get in the way if God says it. It happens. That is how it works. God is a productive God. And when he speaks, things happen. And, and hear me, please. There are some things that God says, some promises that he makes that have an if behind them. Conditional promises. Some of us walk around claiming things that we haven't 
fulfill the responsibility of, right? We say, well, God said he's going to work everything together for good. So I'm claiming that, but the verse goes on, right? <laughs> he's working everything together for the good of those who love the Lord. Do you love the Lord? Are you being obedient to him? Are you trusting him fully, completely, surrendering everything? Because if you are, then absolutely claim Romans 8.28. Claim that promise. God is going to work everything together for your good. But if you're not... <laughs> That's not a word that God's going to watch over because he gave you that responsibility. I get a little hung up on this sometimes. I go to God like, God, I need this financial blessing, right? I need, a, I need you to bail me out of this financial situation. I need your provision. And then I get this guilt and I back away from it a little bit like, uh, but I know I wasn't exactly responsible. And so can I really ask you for this? Uh, God's grace is sufficient. There is a thing called grace that I often forget about in those moments, right? When I go to God in those honest moments where I'm honestly looking at what could I do better here, God's not going to turn me away. He loves to give good gifts to his children. His grace is sufficient. And almost always when I go to him in that attitude, he says, I love you. Of course I want to give it to you. I'm happy to help with that very small problem that I see as very big. Right? So his grace is sufficient. Don't get me wrong. But I think we have to understand that this isn't one of those times. There was no if here. God said it was going to happen. And so he's going to make sure that it happens. See, when I was preparing this message, Aaron and I were having this conversation about our own dreams and visions and things that have been prophesied over us. And what if we've messed them up somehow? Right? What if, what if we, I don't know, we got into this sort of fear loop for a second. And I said, hang on, hang on. The whole message of this story is that God's not going to let his word return void. If he says something and there's no if behind it, it's going to happen. And nothing you can do or don't do can get in the way. There is freedom in that, isn't there? I get in these loops sometimes, these overthinking loops where I'm stuck. I can't make a decision. I can't say yes or no. I, I don't know what to do, and I need to sleep, y'all. So <laughs> sometimes I can't sleep, and I'm laying there like, God, what? how do I get these thoughts out of my head, right? And honestly, I lay there, and I say, okay, I know that you care more about this thing than I do, right? This is your, it's usually the church. <laughs> this is your church. You care more about it than I do. And I am going to choose right now to stop thinking about this, take my thoughts captive, stop thinking about this. And tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm going to make a decision boldly in faith, knowing that if I make the wrong decision, you're going to stop me. And I go to sleep. <laughs> I try anyway. Usually that's what happens. Because when God says something, when it is his word, when he's called you to something, there is no undoing it. And he will make sure that it happens. We don't need guarantees when it comes to God. We don't need IOUs. When God says yes, he means yes. And when he calls you to something, it will happen. So good old Zach here, standing in the temple in front of an angel, expresses disbelief, right? He needs some sort of guarantee, God. Like, can I see some credentials, please, Mr. Angel, sir? Do you have, like, a, a badge, maybe, you could show me? On whose authority are you saying these things to me? Because they seem pretty unbelievable, right? 
Who told you to tell me this? So the angel 19. I am Gabriel. You idiot. No, he didn't say that. I feel like he maybe should have, but I won't add words to the Bible. I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. He's basically saying, because I said so. Right? Any parents in the room identify with this sentiment? Yeah? Because I said so. I, I can just picture this moment. <laughs> there is an angel standing in front of Zachariah, and he says, mm, I don't know. How can I know this will happen? Right? And the angel's like, like, does anybody else see this? I'm an angel. <laughs> Do I need to remind you of what's happening here? I stand in the very presence of God. Why would you need another sign? Hello? <laughs> Look at me, right? You just imagine this angel going back to his heavenly host for that day and saying, can you believe this guy? Like, did, could he not see me? <laughs> I'm awesome. He's never seen anybody like this in his life. How could he possibly ask this? Because I said so. I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. I have the authority. I have the authority. But if you need a sign... I love this about God. Listen. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. <laughs> Anybody else see the irony here? If you need a sign, shut up. And guess what? I can make you. <laughs> so... <laughs> He literally silences his unbelief. And the more I think about this, I love it. You know, I thought, God, why his voice? Why not take his eyes, maybe, you know, so he can't see the fulfillment of the promise? I feel like that would be a pretty good punishment for not believing, wouldn't it? Or, or why not just smite him altogether? We see that throughout the word. God can be pretty hardcore sometimes, right? Why not, why not something else? Why his voice? Because when God does something, it's perfect. So it is the, the perfect response. Why was it the perfect response? God is so snarky sometimes, a little bit sarcastic. He's genius, actually, the wisdom that comes from God and the way that he handles things. So if you remember, Back in Moses' day, when he was called to something, and there was the burning bush scene, right? And, and do you remember this story? Moses came to God, and he's like, why would you choose me? My voice doesn't work. Like, I, I'm not good at speaking to people, God. And do you remember God's response? Some of you quote this one back to me a lot. It was a sermon from, like, a year and a half ago. Who makes mouths? Right? God literally said that back to Moses. Moses is like, my mouth doesn't work, God. And God said, who makes mouths, Moses? I kind of know a guy, right? Like, we can fix this. I happen to be the one that makes mouths. What are you complaining to me about your mouth for? I'm in the business of that. This here, he's basically saying, I am in authority. You don't get to unbelieve this. You don't get to be in disbelief about this. In fact, I'm taking it, so deal with that. <laughs> He's exerting his authority, and this is actually number two of how to maintain the best faith. Remember who is in charge. That's what this is about. 
Gabriel takes his voice because he's saying, remember who is in charge. You don't get to believe something that God has called you to believe. You don't get to. You don't get to express disbelief. So, mute button. I'm silencing you. You don't get it. You don't have that privilege anymore. Remember who is in charge. It's like, like when I say to my kids, you know, 10 minutes till bedtime, right? Any parents in the room know what that produces sometimes? Why? They're eight and five, so it, it sounds like that sometimes, I promise. Why? The complaints come. And I've, I've always, I was a kid's pastor for six years before having my babies, right? I know it's helpful to warn them what's coming to get away from the complaints. That's, that was the whole point of this conversation. I was trying to get away from the complaints, but the complaints happen right there, right? And so I learned from a very young age to instead train my children, instead of confronting that behavior, I'll just, you know, take away the 10 minutes. So why 10 more minutes till bedtime? No, whatever. And I'm like, okay, how about zero minutes? Hmm? How's that? Do you, do you like zero minutes better? And they're immediately... Standing up, shake, no, master, mama, yes, um, okay, sorry, 10 minutes is fine, right? And they run away before I hand out any more punishments. <laughs> okay, zero minutes. It's me saying I'm in charge of that, right? I have the authority to give you 10 minutes, and it is by my pure blessing, right, that you get to have 10 minutes, and I can take it away if I want to. I'm in charge of that thing. I'm reminding them who's in charge of that thing. My kids learned very early, by the way. They don't do the why thing anymore. Um, Very good children. But God was showing Zechariah who was in charge. You don't like it? How about you don't get to speak about it then? He silenced his unbelief because God is the God that giveth and taketh away. He puts you into this world and he can take you out if he wants to. I'm on a parenting kick today. I don't know what's going on. His belief, his unbelief was silence. Now, I tend to be in the camp of like, I don't feel like that's harsh enough, right? Some of you may be sitting there thinking, but he just asked how it would happen, right? Like, I don't feel like that's that bad of a question. Well, maybe he was being too harsh here. There was an angel standing in front of him, though. An angel, Gabriel, standing in front of him for the first time in 400 years, and yet he asked for another sign. And we ask God for signs sometimes, and and he gives us one, and then we're all like, "Uh, was it you, though? Or was it just a Did I eat bad chicken last night? Like, what? Uh, We squirm about it. God just did the thing that you asked, and now that's not enough for you? Right? I do this too. I don't know. That could have been a coincidence. God, I need need another sign. Jesus said, a wicked and rebellious generation asks for a sign. And he said they won't get one, except the sign of Jonah, which he meant to be the, the death for three days and resurrection out of the tomb. They didn't get a sign then, except for the resurrection later. They didn't get one. We don't always get one. Because if, if you're looking for a way not to believe, you will always find one. An angel 
was standing in front of Zechariah, telling him good news, news that he had been praying to hear for decades, and he couldn't believe it. He was looking for a way not to believe, and you will always find one when you're looking. You know, I thought hard through this. Sometimes I complain to God. You know, I think that certain people being removed from my life or people leaving me or deserting me or voices not saying encouraging things anymore, I, th I feel like that's all God punishing me somehow or something. And I feel like God, to me, said through this message, look, I've removed people in your life because of their unbelief. I've removed negative voices from your life. It's a blessing to you because I watch over my word. I've promised you some things and I am watching it. My word does not return void. And humans, because we're created in the image of God and God created the earth with his word, remember? He spoke it into being. Humans have some of that creative and destructive power with their tongue as well. We can speak life into some things or we can speak death. I wonder what dreams, plans, visions I have destroyed in my own life or in other people's lives by my words, by my negativity, by my skepticism. What have I killed in my life because of those words? Zechariah wasn't given the opportunity to speak death into the situation because God said it was so. He called it to being, and he was going to watch over that thing, so he protected the world from Zechariah's negativity. Zechariah was skeptical and was unable to speak skepticism until God's word had come to pass. But I think there's also an element here of, of Zach just going through the motions. Good old Zach. He shows up to work every day. He does his prayers. He prepares the temple. He goes home, right? Shows up again, does his prayers, prepares the temple. He goes home. He shows up. He does his stuff. He goes home. He shows up. He goes home. He's going through the motions, and, and he had lost an attitude of expectancy, he didn't expect God to show up anymore. He prayed for decades and decades for a kid. God didn't show up, so maybe he's not going to. I'll show up. I'll be obedient. But I can't believe anymore. Right? We do the same thing. We show up at church. We're praying for something. We really believe God's going to give it. And when he doesn't, right there in that moment, we go home dejected. And uh, all right, I guess I'll show up again, and I go through the motions, and I go home. Go through the motions, and I go home. Lose our attitude of expectancy. But here's why just obedience without any heart behind it doesn't work. Passion is what keeps you expectant. Passion is what keeps your ears open to hear, right? Jesus said, let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. There were lots of other people that were hearing the word, but they didn't hear the word, right? They were hearing the Messiah speak, but they didn't hear the Messiah speak. They were just going through the motions. They didn't come into it understanding that God could actually speak and that he would actually speak. They didn't come into it expecting that, and they missed it. They missed it. How we 
maintain the best faith is by keeping that attitude of expectancy, coming into church and leaning in, having a, a notebook open and a, and a pen. But God give you a good note or nugget to take home for your week if you're not ready to write it down, right? If you're not expecting that he will speak, why would he? You don't have ears to hear it anyway. He lost his attitude of expectancy. Hold on to that hope. Hold on to it. Stubbornly keep believing. Even when your doubts and, and fears want to keep you from continuing to believe, believe anyway. Come in expecting that maybe today is the day God's going to answer my prayer. Maybe today's the day. And when he does, you won't miss it. You'll be expecting it. You'll be ready like Mary was. And we're going to get there in just a minute. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. And let me just say, good for her. Right? Seclusion for five months. While being pregnant, I'm assuming half of you, at least in this room, have not been pregnant before. But if you ever have been pregnant, you, you've heard the comments, right? You probably completely understood this immediately. Now, I can't tell you how many people, when I was pregnant twice, both of those, I, I cannot tell you how many people said such negative things to me <laughs> while being pregnant. It's like, it brings out the best in people and the worst in people, pregnancy. I don't know how to describe it, but it, it, I would come home from church, y'all, church, literally fuming to Aaron. Like, so many people asked this morning, and I said, great, you know, I'm looking forward to everything, uh, things are going well, and they would say, inevitably, oh, just you wait. Not even joking. <laughs> Oh, just you wait. You know, you're getting sleep now, sure, but you're not getting any sleep ever again. <laughs> like, so many negative things. And they'd bring out the worst story they could possibly think of from their own lives, and that's the one they would give me. Why do we do this to each other? <laughs> Why do we have to share the most negative things? Oh, oh, you just wait, girl, right? You just wait. Believe me, I'd go into seclusion, too. If I were 70, 80, 90 years old, maybe, God had promised me something, but I had no way to prove it. We didn't have sonograms back then. <laughs> she couldn't prove at eight weeks that there was something in there, right? She couldn't prove it. Why do you think she went into seclusion for five months? Because after five months, there's physical evidence of a baby. I do not blame her for this one. In fact, it, it's number four on the list of maintaining the best faith. Cut out negative voices intentionally. Cut out the negative voices. It's hard enough to maintain faith alone. Sometimes it's much harder to maintain faith around toxic people that don't have any. Their unbelief will spread to you, and it's why I think Zachariah was silenced. His unbelief would have spread. And she needed faith to get through those five months. Jesus was the one who said, after all, don't throw your pearls before swine, right? He meant don't 
if you give pigs pearls, they're not going to understand the value of them, and they're going to trample on them through no fault of their own, because why would pigs value right? It's us, the, the dummies on the sidelines, crying like, why did they trample my precious pearls? They don't value pearls like you do. Why would you give it to them? Right? That was his point in saying that. Don't put the, the extremely important and valuable, unique vision and plans for your life out in front of just anyone. Out in front of people that aren't going to encourage you in that. Out in front of people that are going to instead trample those dreams and visions. Why would you do that? Cut out the negative voices. Cut them out. Verse 25, she says, how kind the Lord is. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Little did she know she'd be part of something that would take away all disgrace for everyone, forever. But that's not what she was thanking God for four here. And here's hint number five. Thank God for the little things. Thank God for the little things. It may not seem little, and believe me, you know, if you've struggled with with infertility, this was not a little thing that God did for Zachariah and Elizabeth, especially at their age. But in general, it's not a little thing. Even in today's society, it's not a little thing. But compared to what God was going to do, right? Compared to what he was going to do with John the Baptist's life, their gift sort of pales in comparison. We're all still benefiting from what John the Baptist did, right? If you've been baptized as a believer, you're following the example that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. We've all been touched by his example in some way. Elizabeth's gift seems sort of small in comparison to that. But remember, The name John was given by the angel, not by Zechariah and Elizabeth. The name John means God has given, or God is gracious in some translations. God has given, because remember, as we learned two weeks ago, God is not just the God of individuals, he's the God of nations, right? And so when God gave John to Zechariah and Elizabeth, he was also giving John to Jesus 30 years later, as a partner in ministry, and he was also giving the nation of Israel a messenger because he is the God of Zechariah and Elizabeth, of individuals, and of nations and generations. God is not just the God of today, but the God of eternity. And so when he gave John to Zechariah and Elizabeth, he was also giving John to the generation that came much after them. Remember, they were probably passed away by the time John started his ministry. They were getting along in years, right? And he was giving them him to every generation to come after as the voice crying out in the wilderness. God is the God of nations and individuals. He's the God of eternity and today. When he gives you a gift, it might not be just for you, but for generations after you. For your generation today, for everyone else in your life. And Elizabeth could not have known how her faith, her sacrifice, her blessing would affect so many generations to come. But she thanked God for what she did know. She thanked God for the little things. She thanked God for what he gave to her. And when we're in this dark night of the soul, when we're in the dark ages where it feels like God's not speaking, we go back to what we can thank God for. 
thank you, God, for what you have given me today. Thank you for what you have given me yesterday. I might not be able to thank you for these other things. Yeah, I'm still believing for those things, but I'm thanking you for what I do see today. Thank him for the little things. Now, Luke 1 goes into another story at this point. We literally break from the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and we go into Mary's story, the mother of Jesus. Now, I'm going to sum up this part a little because it's kind of a long chapter, but Mary gets a calling and a visit from the angel in almost exactly the same way in the next few scriptures. She, she, if, you, if you put the two conversations next to each other, there are remarkable similarities. But she also questions the angel. But not quite like Zechariah did. Zechariah says, how will I know this will happen? And he gives all the reasons it could, right? Mary's spirit, and you can tell by the way the angel responds, she's more, okay. How will this happen? Right? Her spirit is a little different, proving that God is not afraid of your questions. He wouldn't have minded Zechariah asking a question if he had asked it without the rebellious spirit, without the disbelief. Mary asked the same question, but in a much different spirit. It's again, if I ask my kids to go clean their rooms and I get the why thing back, I'm likely to respond because I said so right? <laughs> because I have the authority to say so, because I bought that room and everything in it. You want to sleep in the hallway? Right? <laughs> Go clean your room, because I said so. But from a very young age, I, I sat my children down and I explained to them, and I remember specific seasons I did this with each of them. I said, I don't mind you asking why. I genuinely don't. I will answer your questions all day. I have answered your questions at that point. I don't mind answering your questions, but I want to hear, okay, mama, first, right? Go clean your room. Okay, mama. Why? Sure, I'll answer that all day. We got people coming over or because it's a wreck and I just want you to clean it. Whatever the answer is, I'm happy to answer that if you say, okay, mama, first, right? Because I know that that's an obedient heart that's asking me questions. I'll answer an obedient heart's questions all day but a rebellious heart's questions, right? A rebellious heart doesn't ask questions to actually get the answer. It's more like complaints disguised as questions. The why isn't actually, they don't want to know, they just want to complain, yeah? I think God is much the same. He will answer an obedient heart's questions all day long, and the angel does. He, he answers Mary's question, and not only that, after the angel tells Mary about her calling, he also tells her about Elizabeth's calling. Mary literally accepts her mission. She says, let it be so, or um, let everything that you've said come to pass. She basically says, I'm in. Let's do this, right? And then the angel says, <clears throat> she says, let it be so, and, and then the angel immediately tells her about Elizabeth, too. She is told by the angel that her cousin is having a very similar situation with John the Baptist. And so I just imagine Mary getting this vision from the Lord, this angelic visitation, and telling no one about it. 
are you going to tell? And what would they say? Right? Hey, I, um, I'm going to be pregnant, but I have, you know, um, I don't know how to tell you this, but <laughs> people, what are, what are they going to say? Oh, really? Really? <laughs> you had an angelic visitor, did you? You know that hasn't happened in 400 years, right? Nobody's believing that. Nobody's believing that. I imagine Mary got up and she went immediately to Elizabeth's side. The only person that would believe her. Because see, I, I know I just said to cut out the negative voices, but I didn't say to cut out all the voices. Right? She went to the one person who would know that she was telling the truth, who would encourage her in her faith. She went to the one person that those pearls were safe with. And she didn't even have to say a thing. She showed up to Elizabeth's house and John the Baptist in the womb (laughs) prophesied, testified to the existence of the Messiah. He leapt for joy and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she prophesied. She knew immediately what was going on with Mary. Because when God calls you to something, He often gives you partners in it. We have to participate in it. We have to cut out the negative voices, and we have to allow partnership in our faith and in our calling. God not only gave Mary Elizabeth to encourage her in probably the most difficult task that has ever been given to a woman on planet Earth, but he also gave God, God gave Jesus John a voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for him. Jesus didn't have to show up in a a faith-scorched dark ages. He showed up to somebody already prophesying and preparing the way for him. God not only gave Mary a partner in ministry, he gave Jesus one too. God always gives us the right people at the right time to encourage us in our faith. Sometimes we just have to cut out the wrong voices, and sometimes God does that for us. The angel gave Mary a partner, something to confirm physically what was said to her. Can you imagine Mary showing up on Elizabeth's doorstep and seeing her bump? God does do what he says he's going to do. He's already started. This is actually happening. Elizabeth's faith throughout this whole story wasn't only for herself. It was for Mary, too. Her faith resulted in in having a baby boy at a very old age and naming him John, who would prepare the way and be a partner in ministry for Jesus. By the way, old Zach, Mr. Doubter, He got his voice back when he was obedient to the angel and confirmed the naming of his son. There's this scene near the end of John 1 where the baby is born and people are gathering and they're all congratulatory and they say, his name's going to be Zachariah, right? People were very pushy about naming babies back then, still a little bit today. Uh, they, they said, his name's going to be Zach, right? That's, that's the family name, Zachariah. It's his father's name. He doesn't have any other children. It's got to be Zachariah. And his mother says, nope, his name's going to be John. And they're like, nobody else in your family has that name. Why would you make that decision? 
And Zachariah gets a pen and a paper and he writes, his name is John. And instantly he gets his voice back. As he is obedient, as he surrenders finally to the plan of God, he gets his voice back. As a result of these two women of faith, we got the two most powerful and impactful prophets on planet earth. Two women in different walks of life, different stages of life, different ages, different callings. They they were different in a lot of ways, but God gave them each other as partners in ministry, just like he did their sons. John the Baptist grew up And we'll take a little look on Christmas Eve because I couldn't fit it all into the sermon. The sermon's really a two-parter. The second part comes on Christmas Eve. John the Baptist pointed toward Jesus. But as he grew up, he became this sort of wild-haired hippie living out in the wilderness, eating nothing but locusts and honey and wearing Tarzan clothes and proclaiming that the Messiah was coming. He was the voice crying out in the wilderness and he was willing to be different. He was willing to proclaim unpopular truth. And he was willing to take all of that attention and put it back on Jesus. To the point that we often forget John the Baptist was a major Bible prophet. He did his job so well in pointing to Jesus. He preached a gospel that was following the law, the letter, and the spirit. He understood the bigger plan in a way that no one else of his time did. And when he saw Jesus, he saw more than just a cousin. When he saw Jesus, he saw more than his friend, saw more than a prophet, more than a rabbi or a teacher. When he saw Jesus, he saw more human. He saw the Son of God, the Messiah, in a way that no one else did. He was the voice crying out in the dark wilderness. And God is so much bigger than we think. He has more of this planned out than you could possibly know or imagine. And if this series has done nothing else, I hope that it has built and stretched your faith further than you could have ever imagined. I hope it's opened up your mind to the possibilities of what God can do. We have to maintain a faith that matches that to some degree. We have to maintain an awe and a wonder at what God can do. Without faith, after all, it's impossible to please God, right? A lot of people, Christians, around Christmas time. They say, why do we celebrate Jesus' birth? He never he never told us to celebrate his birth. He told us to celebrate his death. So why do we celebrate Christmas? We celebrate Christmas because we're celebrating the fulfillment of thousands of years of prophecy. We celebrate Christmas because we're celebrating the fact that God has made a way where there was no way. We're celebrating the fact that he is in control beyond anything we could have ever dreamed of. We're celebrating a wave of hope being breathed back into this world of darkness. We're celebrating God's plan that has been written in the stars since the dawn of time. We're celebrating hope. 
We're celebrating freedom from the bonds of, of slavery and addiction to sin. The Christmas story is just another chapter in a very long love letter from God to us. He's bigger than we could ever comprehend. His plan has been written in the stars since the dawn of time, and he deserves our best, our best gifts, our best worship, our best service, and our best faith. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. this holiday season. 
our best worship, our best service, our best faith, and our best gifts. Help us to find the bold ways to bring people to the belief of Jesus this holiday season. Let us give the gift of life to the world around us. Let us not be negative and doubting and tearing down, but let us be building up, stirring up, encouraging, uplifting, and positive in this harsh world. Let us be the change we seek to see in the world around us because we believe. Drive us forward with that belief. Father, that next week, we would be able to celebrate baptisms of people who have dedicated their lives to you, changed their lives completely, and we would present to you our best gift ever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I wanna thank you guys for worshiping with us. We'll see you at Christmas Eve 4 and 6 and next weekend for Rewind Weekend. Love you, have a great week.